can go ahead and grab a seat. And as you're doing that, I encourage you to uh, grab your Bible. If you brought one, you can pull that out. We're going to be turning to the Word of God now. Um, if you don't have a Bible, um, we've got one that you can use. You can find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. Um, if you don't own a Bible, uh, you are welcome to take that home with you, and that is our gift to you. We're just so uh, glad that you're here this morning. I would encourage you to, to grab a copy of Scripture, though, because we are going to walk our way through, um, through, uh, uh, through God's Word, and would love for you to see it for yourself and um, to be able to uh, follow along. Um, we are in the book of Acts, and if you are um, been with us, then that's no surprise to you. We are in a series that's taken us the better part of a year um, uh, to walk through, and uh, we are um, kind of continuing to make our way. So thankful for Pastor Jeff and preaching the last couple weeks, giving me a little um, uh, little break as we were away and, and traveling, and we're continuing right on where we left off um, in Acts chapter 9. So you can open up to Acts chapter 9. Uh, the title of the sermon this morning is uh, Signs of the Kingdom, and um, let me just kind of set us up and kind of frame us up this way. Uh, a couple weeks ago, when my wife and I were down in, uh, on our trip, and we were in Orlando, and the hotel that we were staying at was right across the street from uh, SeaWorld. And um, here's the thing about, uh, about where we were at and, um, and kind of our experience there. We were not there for, and we did not um, go there to uh, be in SeaWorld. Uh, that just happened to be where the hotel was. But there was like massive signs saying SeaWorld. Um, in addition to that, there was this big parking lot, and you can kind of see the entrance and, and all of that. And so here's the thing about signs. Uh, nobody travels any length or distance uh, to, to just see a sign, right? Uh, when you're on a trip and maybe you are traveling somewhere and you see a sign, you might get excited about a sign, but you're not excited about the sign because of the sign itself, right? Like, that's such a cool sign. I love that sign. Oh, man, like, are, are you glad that we experienced seeing that sign, right? You get excited, or at least I remember as a kid, seeing signs and getting excited because of what it was pointing toward, right? What it meant was coming. And so we never made it in SeaWorld, uh, but we saw the signs for SeaWorld. And uh, I have no idea what's even going on in there. I thought it was just like aquatic life. I knew Shamu, something like that, right? But there's like roller coasters and other things happening. I mean, I could see the things happening, but we always kind of just, all, all that we saw of that was uh, this sign. I share that this morning, say all that to just say this. Uh, the, the passage that we're coming to this morning uh, sort of serves for us um, like a sign, and uh, we need, we're going to um, see these miracles of, uh, uh, that are performed um, through Peter by, by Jesus Christ, and uh, they're, they're, you know, it'd be a bit of a miss if all we do is just kind of revel in this miracle, I'd be really fired up and kind of excited about uh, this miracle, uh, right? But uh, rather what this miracle is, is it's giving us an opportunity to see beyond that and to see uh, what it's pointing us toward. And so uh, what we see as we come to these, uh, these miracles, we're, we're kind of coming to an interesting place in the story of Acts. Uh, the attention has been uh, sort of off of Peter for a while. If you know the name Peter, he's one of the uh, was one of the followers of Jesus, kind of leading uh, the apostles, the uh, disciples now, the followers of Jesus after his death. And, and so attention sort of shifts back to Peter, and it's going to be on him for the coming um, weeks. And these uh, miracles that we are going to see are meant to be for us signs of the kingdom of not that are just to come, but the kingdom that is already impacting the here and now. And uh, we said, we've said this before about Jesus' miracles. Every time you see a miracle, it's like the miracle itself is really cool, right? But uh, even more cool is the thing that that miracle is pointing to, 
that it's teaching us about, what it's revealing to us about Jesus, about the kingdom, about uh, his work uh, here. And so this is what we're going to see. And it's not just one miracle we get to look at. This is like two for the price of one this morning, okay? So there's two uh, that we're looking at. I think that Luke records for us two back-to-back miracles teaching the same point just so we don't miss it. Right? He knows we're, we're going to blow by this. This seems like maybe a transitional passage. I can assure you it's not. One of the questions I always ask myself as I approach Scripture is, why is this here? Or a different way of asking is, what would be a different way, or what would be missing if this wasn't here? Right? And one of the things that would be missing is what we're going to see uh, here uh, this morning. And kind of the big thing that we're going to see as we walk through this is uh, just how, um, how powerful uh, God is and how uh, not powerful uh, we are. Um, I'll just kind of like, just kind of preempt it with that. We're going to see that over and over again uh, in this passage uh, this morning. And so uh, let's do this. Let's go ahead and, uh, and, and jump into it. Why don't we just start by, let's just get into uh, the, the text and beginning in verse 32. I'd love to just sort of read our passage that we're going to be walking through this morning. Uh, chapter 9 of Acts, beginning in verse 32. You can uh, follow along your copy of Scripture. It's also available there on the screen. It says this, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydia. And there was found a man named uh, Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydia and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Uh, Here's the second miracle. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Uh, She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and all the windows, or all the widows rather, stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when Peter, when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand. And raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So here we have it. Our two uh, miracles that we're looking at uh, this morning. Um, One uh, man, Aeneas, who is healed. Another uh, woman, uh, Tabitha, who is raised from the dead. Certainly miraculous things, right? But what these miracles are going to show us is our response to God and how we need to see the way that he is working and his power um, in us. And so here we are um, in, in this. Let, let me just, uh, what we're going to see here, the first, um, the first um, kind of step that we need to take in looking at this sign is we need to begin with this. We need to begin by recognizing uh, what God is doing here. We need to recognize what God is doing. And, and to do that, we really need to recognize our state. Here's, here's the thing that we need to recognize. It's our condition is hopeless and in need of help. Our condition is hopeless and in need of help. See, I believe that these miracles are showing us, again, uh, the power and working that Jesus can do in us. And this is the place that we need to start. So let's unpack these and see what's, what's happening and where we see this. Um, let's look at Aeneas first in verse 32. 
Uh, just to kind of frame it up for us, Peter, it says, when he went here and there among them all. Um, as we know, what's happening is uh, the church is spreading. It is moving out of Jerusalem and into the surrounding towns and regions and in different areas, right? And so Peter goes on a bit of a mission trip, and he is checking in with the believers. And what he's doing is he's doing that. He's certainly trying to encourage them. Uh, There's some ministry that's happening, right? He's uh, teaching, I'm sure, preaching, uh, opening up God's word and and trying to um, uh, build up the church. But I'm sure there's also a level of just checking in on them. Like, how are we doing? How are we committing? Are we staying faithful to the doctrine? Are we following the teachings of Christ? Are we we looking uh, to the gospel? And, And so he's kind of, it says he's going from here and there, kind of moving about the different regions. And then he comes to uh, this uh, town, Lydia, and he found a man named Aeneas. Now, certainly, if we know one thing about God is that uh, things don't um, really happen for um, no reason, right? This isn't just a um, coincidence. God is certainly orchestrating and leading this. Um, This is uh, something, an encounter that I think God was leading in. And Aeneas, the state that he's in, it says here, is bedridden for eight years. He was paralyzed. So we don't know what happened, but obviously some sort of accident or sickness or something you know, occurred where he uh, lost certainly his ability to walk and, and that word there most likely even the use of his arms. Uh, he was probably quadriplegic and, and he was in this bed for eight years. Now to kind of, again, understand the context of what we're doing, it's always helpful to put ourselves in the, in the text. I want you to think back to the year 2014. Why 2014? Well, that's eight years ago, okay, 2014. Eight years ago, that's kind of crazy to think, 2014 is eight years ago. Uh, Where were you eight years ago? Where were you in 2014? Where were you living? Where were you working? What did your family look like? What did did life look like for you eight years ago in 2014? Now, think about all the things that have transpired between 2014 and today. All the things that you are thinking about, right? All the different life changes, I'm sure. There's been major, massive changes that have happened, different things that have happened. For Aeneas, he's been in the bed the whole time. For that entire length of time, all the things that you're thinking about, his situation was, I'm still in my bed. I'm still in my bed. I'm still in my bed. I'm sure at the beginning of that eight years, there was a quest to be healed, Right? Maybe there was doctors that were being consulted and, and physicians that were being brought in, or maybe he was um, getting people to carry him and take him to them, and, and there was an investigation of, is there, is there a change that can come? Right? Is there help that I can get? But here's the thing that I think he kind of came to after that time. I'm sure by the time that Peter came into his house and met Aeneas, he had gotten to the place that he realized that his condition, as far as healing, was pretty hopeless, right? And that there was no help for him, nothing that he could do on his own to change or affect his situation. This is the place that he finds himself in. Similarly, let's just kind of jump back and forth between the stories this morning. Similarly, let's look at the life of Tabitha. Now it says here that there was in Joppa this disciple named Tabitha, Um, which translated means Dorcas. All right, we just have to kind of acknowledge that today is a really unfortunate nickname, right? Like we just, like Dorcas is not, uh, so in the the vernacular of the day, right, it didn't mean that. Uh, Her name, both Tabitha and Dorcas, actually means kind of the gazelle or like little deer or something like that. Um, 
So we're going to call her Tabitha. I just feel like if, if, if it was my story being told today, I would not want to be referred to as Dorcas. I would want whatever other nickname was available to me, okay? So we're going to call her Tabitha. And it says here, we learn a little bit about her, that she was a disciple. So that means that she was a follower of Jesus. She had heard the gospel, she had responded to the gospel, and she was seeking to follow after Christ. In doing so, we learn a little bit more about her. It says that she was full of good works and acts of charity. She was known for her kindness, right? She was serving the people around her. We're going to see this unpacked more as we walk through the story, exactly how she did it. But we recognize and we see that she was a kind, loving person there in the community. And then we see that she became ill. She fell sick and ultimately died of this sickness. I think it's just a good reminder for us. I think sometimes we think that maybe our quote-unquote goodness, right, if we're a good person, that that will somehow prevent us from experiencing bad things. That's a question that many often ask, right? Why do good people uh, experience bad things? Well, Scripture never promises the contrary, It never says that good people will not experience bad things. Here's someone doing good works, right, acts of charity, and yet uh, seemingly um, dies earlier than would be expected of this sickness. And so the people mourning her loss and wanting to see change happen wash her and then lay her in the upper room. See, they were, I think we can understand the way that it's stated here, they were hoping for change to come. It says that they washed her, but it doesn't say that they anointed her or prepared her for burial. So they just washed her body and then summoned Peter, right? They heard he was nearby. Lydia, it says, is near Joppa. So Peter's not far off. They're like, hey, you guys go get Peter. Let's see if he can come. Let's see if he can do something, right? We don't want to lose her. And so there she is in the upper room. Her body is placed there, and they call Peter to it. Here's the thing. In both situations, again, I think Luke repeats these miracles and has these back-to-back next to each other to emphasize a point. I think the point is this is that we need to recognize this is a picture of us in our state, our condition, both spiritually and our condition before God. We are on our own, without hope, and helpless. I think we need to understand this from an eternal perspective. Like Scripture is clear about this, that all, all of humanity... Doesn't matter where you're born, what time you're born in, who you're born to. Um, When you are born, you are born into sin. And then as we grow by our own actions and our own decisions and our own choices, we confirm that sinful attitude, that sinful behavior. And so we are, what scripture says, dead in our trespasses. We are dead in our sins. And so our eternal state, our spiritual state is one of lifelessness, of hopelessness, and of helplessness. There is nothing that you and I can do on our own to change that. Let me explain it this way. Uh, When I was, um, you know, some years ago in in, in college, I I went to Moody Bible Institute in downtown Chicago, and uh, my family at the time was living in Monroe, Wisconsin, and so uh, that's kind of where I uh, sort of grew up, graduated from high school. I was a cheese maker um, from, uh, from Monroe, and so it was one of my very first breaks going back from college to uh, Monroe, uh, my mom came and got me. I didn't have my own car. Um, this will blow your mind, uh, 12-year-olds, that I didn't even have a cell phone, okay? Um, I, I, I did not own one yet. That, that wasn't uh, something that everybody had, okay? Um, and even if I did, I wouldn't have been able to do anything fun on it, um, except for maybe like snake and, um, you know, 
spend 10 minutes and $2 a text. Uh, that's about all that it was at that time. So uh, my mom came to get me, and, and we were driving back. I think one or two of my siblings was with, and uh, we were making good time, kind of making our way out. We had passed through most of the Chicago traffic, and I'll never forget it because I still pass it today. There's these two massive water towers right before a toll, I think near Schaumburg or something, um, and, uh, and, and right there, um, I was driving. I pull over the car, and because uh, it started kind of like acting funny, not really working. Working, and so I kind of pull it off to the side of the road on the interstate. I get out, pop the trunk, and um, I see flames. Um, not a lot of flames, but, but fire nonetheless. Now, here's the thing. Admittedly, I'm not a big car guy. I like cars, but I don't know anything about engines, how to fix them, all that kind of stuff. Like, I wish I did. I could save myself a little bit of money, um, but uh, I don't know a ton. But here's what I do know, that if you open your hood and you see fire, that's not a good thing, all right? So I have that much down. I'm like, this is not good, okay? And so we tried to kind of do the best we could. It was just kind of this one part that was sort of, um, you know, just needed a little me time or something. It was a little worked out, a little overworked. And so it's just kind of flaming there. And so we kind of moved back from the car. And uh, fortunately, I didn't have a cell phone. My mom had a cell phone. And so we called a tow truck, and then we called my dad. And um, the tow truck came to get the car. Uh, my dad was coming to get us. Um, it was clearly going to take you know, more time than that. So the tow truck driver was good enough to take us. I'll never forget this. Um, this is probably why it's seared in my memory because he took us to the nearest the toll plaza that was coming up and they were really gracious to give us this like closet to sit in um, for about like two or three hours while we waited for my dad to come and get us. So here I am, a college freshman, so excited to go home for my first time ever. And then I've got my little like um, uh, four or five-year-old sibling uh, there and we're kind of shoved in this closet and uh, we were hungry. We were like just bored. Again, no cell phone, see above. Like there was just like, we were kind of in this place of just waiting. Now here's the reality of our situation is this is that with our car broken down in the way that it was, even if I had certain knowledge, which I didn't, right, there would be nothing on my own that I could do to change the state of our condition there on the side of the road, right? I needed help. We were hopeless, helpless on our own. If no tow truck comes, right, if no driver comes to get us, we are stuck there. Now, certainly, the illustration breaks down. I mean, we could walk somewhere. Yes, I get all that. But you understand my point, right? We can't do anything to get the car out of there. It was broken down and stuck in place. Here's the reality of our state that we, our condition, apart from Christ, that you and I need to understand. You and I are without Christ, hopeless and without help. There's nothing that we can do. We are on the side of the road. We are broken down in the ditch, and there is nothing that we can do to change that reality in and of ourselves. And the sooner and the more honest you and I are in recognizing our condition is the place that we need to begin with in that. Now, here's the thing that I think some of us maybe have down. Some of you, you need to recognize your eternal state before the Lord. Others of you, you're like, yes, I get that. I know that that was the way that I am, but I have Christ now, right? So I'm different. That's changed. Let me just say to that, yes, it is. But no, it's still not. Like you are still without Christ, just as helpless, just as hopeless. Yes, you have Christ, and that's why there is hope, right? That's why there is help. But take him out of the equation. Take his help, take the Spirit's help out of your life, and you are still in a spot of helplessness, hopelessness. So we need to recognize that our condition on our own, without Christ, is one of despair. 
It really is. And I think we try and convince ourselves that we're not that bad or we're going to be okay or things are going to work out, right? And that's just not the case. It is like us on the side of the road, broken down in the ditch. We cannot affect change on our own. This is the state that you and I find ourselves in. Now, praise the Lord, that is not where the story ends. That's not what the end of the story is. There is hope that we see in this story, in this miracle. Because what happens next? Well, Peter, meeting this man, he comes, sees him bedridden for uh, eight years. He's paralyzed. Verse 34, Peter comes and he said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. See, this is uh, where everything changes is when Jesus Christ enters into the equation and into the situation. And this is where we need to move from just not just recognizing our condition, but we need to move like Aeneas, like uh, Tabitha needed to. We need to rely, rely upon God. You can throw that slide up there if you want to. We need to rely upon God. Our trust is in the power of Christ and Christ alone. If we try and rely on anything else, right? If we put our trust in anyone else, anything else, it will fall short. But yet what we see here is that it was Aeneas' need, right? That only Jesus Christ could answer. And Peter was super explicit about that. Notice what he says again in verse 34 when he says, Peter said to him, Aeneas... Jesus Christ heals you. Why did he say it that way? I think he wanted to be very clear, like I'm not healing you, right? The words that I'm about to say are not gonna affect change in your life. Let's just be clear about what's happening here. Jesus Christ is going to heal you. He is healing you right now. The tense of that verb is not that you have been healed, you're going to be healed. It's like Jesus Christ is healing you at this moment is what he's saying there. And so rise and take up your bed. Similarly, look at uh, the situation with Tabitha, verse 39. It says, Peter rose, he went to them. When he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. If we could, maybe just an aside, kind of point out something I think that is really cool to see about Dorcas's life here. She loved the Lord and because of her love for the Lord, she then translated that into love for those around her, right? It says, we already read, that she was full of good works and acts of charity. This is what these good works and acts of charity were. Obviously, she had some sort of interest, desire, skill uh, to be able to sew, to crochet, to knit, to quilt, whatever it was, right? She's putting together tunics and garments for those who have lost spouses. She's caring for the widows, and in society, they were uh, at the, one of the bottom rungs, right? They, there was not much um, available to them in terms of uh, society uh, and clout and, 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 and even ownership and some of these things. And so they were uh, in need and she recognizes the need and she steps in and she answers that. I love this though. You know, I think one of the things that we need to be more aware of is understanding that God wants to use us where we are at with the gifts, with the skills that he's wired us with. You know, notice what it doesn't say here. It doesn't say that Tabitha was the leader of the sewing ministry at her local church, right? 
It says that she was just making garments and sewing tunics for people. Now she might have been, I don't know, maybe there was a ministry that they had all kind of got together and there was a team of ladies or team of men, whatever it was, that kind of got together and, and sewed these things together and took care of the women. But that's not what it says. It's saying that she recognized, saw the need and then was going to whatever effort she could do to meet it. And I love this because this is the picture that we are going after here in our church, right? We want to see more and more of this, not just filling a slot or kind of checking a box in some ministry, rather that we are finding a place to to meaningful and with the gifts that God has wired us with to serve the Lord wherever that might be, right? She saw the need and so she was going. We don't know how she's supporting this thing. Is she raising support? Right? Is she going out and getting people to help and kind of contribute to this? Or is it just coming from her own personal resources? We don't know, but either way, she's doing the work to care for the needs of these widows. And here's the result that we see of it. I love it. It's such a great picture. The widows that she had cared for were there weeping and showing and recounting the story of all the ways that Dorcas had served them. Right? Tabitha was, was so gracious with them. And we've said before, you know, because Tabitha died, the community was in mourning over that. They felt the loss. We've said before, if our church, if City on a Hill here was to close our doors, would our community respond the same way? Would there also be disappointment and mourning over the loss of a church that's doing things in the community, affecting change around us? Would this be the goal that we would have in this? I think it's a great picture for us in the midst of this miracle that's happening. But here's the thing, is that she had served so well, but yet sickness had come. She had died, right? I don't have to unpack that. Clearly, she's unable to affect her own state. Like, that's not, sometimes you kind of come to a point as a pastor where it's like, I don't need to spend a lot of time on that. You guys get that. She's dead. There's not much she can do. Yet, what does Peter do? He comes. He puts them all outside. This should remind you of something. Jesus, there's not very many resurrections that happen in Scripture, um, Uh, Jesus, though, he did raise from the dead a little girl in his ministry. He did a similar thing. He put everyone outside. And then in doing so, it says that he knelt down, Peter knelt down and prayed. And then turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Now, here's the thing, um, a little different from Aeneas. Uh, We don't see the words uttered uh, that he says as far as Jesus Christ is healing you, but he prays. See, in that moment, his kneeling down, it's an expression showing that, God, I need you to work here, right? There's nothing I can do to Tabitha. And so he, in that moment, was asking, calling down on the power of Jesus Christ to effect change in her situation, right, in her life. And he was praying that God would raise her. And only Christ, only God himself has the power to do that. You and I recognize this. We can't do something like that. Only God can. And so Peter prayed. See, here's the thing that I think we need to be careful about. If you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, I think so many times we, again, understand our need for him at the beginning. We recognize our sinful state and the fact that we cannot save ourselves. We need a savior. But then what I've recognized and sort of seen in the years of ministry and walking with Christians, believers in the church, somehow there becomes this idea that Salvation is on God, but my sanctification is up to me, right? Like it's God who saves me, but I'm the one who has to kind of work that out and make that happen in my life. 
And some of you might even recognize, even as I'm saying those words, that you've kind of put yourself on some sort of hamster wheel where you're trying to earn God's favor or kind of produce change in your life or kind of reading the right books, being around the right people, doing the right things where you're trying to grow in your own sanctification. And here's the reality that we need to do is that in the same way that we rely on Jesus for our salvation, we need to rely on Jesus for our sanctification. He's the one who changes us, right? He's the one who matures us. He's the one who brings about the conviction of sin, who reminds us of his grace and his his faithfulness to us. He's the one who changes who we are. Just as much as when he saved us, he is the one who is sanctifying us. Scripture's clear about this. Philippians 1, verse 6. I'm sorry, I don't have a slide for it, but you can write down this reference. Philippians 1, 6 says this. I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Right? He began the work. He started it. He's going to finish it. And so that which he began, he will be faithful to complete. And so somebody, we need to hear this truth. We need to be reminded of this. Because again, I think we make the mistake of thinking that I need to sanctify myself. And here's the reality, right? Aeneas couldn't save himself. Tabitha couldn't save herself. They needed Jesus Christ to step into their situation and change. And so the reliance came solely upon the power and presence of Jesus Christ. And we turn to so many other places for that change, Right? We work harder, we try and get smarter, right? Or we distract ourselves, we throw ourselves into video games or into uh, maybe, we, uh, maybe we, we eat or we, we spend time with friends or we, we just seek entertainment or we just kind of binge on shows or, or whatever it might be. We try and distract ourselves from all these things because the, it feels like the things that we're trying to do aren't really working when all we need to do is rely and work with, allow the power of Christ to take effect in our lives. That is what we need to understand and recognize here. It's a picture for us, right? It's a sign pointing to the reality that God wants us to make sure that we do not miss here. You know, I think sometimes we, we think that more of it relies on us or that we're doing more of the lifting. Um, let me just kind of illustrate it this way. Again, I think sometimes we think that God kind of gets it started and then he leaves it up to us. Um, about a year ago, um, when it was a little bit more locked down, I think it was one of those cold kind of months or something, um, our oldest got a little knitting kit and she started kind of knitting. Well, that sort of started like this knitting thing in our house. And I, I decided that's like a good kind of ha- like hobby or something for people to, uh, you know, our kids to like learn and kind of, kind of grow in. And so um, uh, I, this is like, just kind of reveals a little bit of my personality. I'm like, you know what? I can learn my, I'll teach myself to knit and then I'll teach my kids how to knit and then they'll know how to knit. And so I asked Bree if she wanted to be a part of it. Hey, do you want to learn how to knit? She's like, no way. I have no desire to do that. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do it anyways. And so I went and got all the supplies, watched YouTube videos and started kind of learning all of this stuff. So let me flex a little bit. My knitting, um, my knitting uh, uh, prowess is, is uh, you know, I learned the slip knot, got it on there. I cast it on a bunch of you know, stitches, kind of got going. I taught them all the, the knit stitch and, and, and going. They're not into the pearl stitch yet. We're kind of working on the knit stitch, right? So I got them started. And so we had all these little like scarves kind of started. And what I did is I would get a few rows kind of going and then I handed it off and taught them how to do it. Now, here's the thing. I don't think it would have gone so far. They would have been extremely discouraged if I just said, hey, let's watch this video, here's a few stitches, go, right? They needed help. Like there is, there is constant. So yesterday, or yeah, this week, yesterday, um, this got all resurrected in our house. Like we started knitting again. 
And so it's all been kind of these half-finished scarves have been like kind of put away and kind of off in the corner. Well, yesterday it was kind of cold. They're like, hey, can we start a fire? Can we start knitting? And so we're like knitting and they kept coming up and they're like, hey, dad, I need help. I need help. Like I, I did it again. I added a stitch. I did, like you love that we're talking about knitting right now in the middle of a sermon. This is like, this is fantastic. Hold on a second. I'm going to balance this out in a minute. Um, some of you are so excited. You're like, yes, a knitting. Now, I, now here's enough of that football examples. Like we can get, this is something I can get down with. So we're like knitting and uh, they kept coming up and they're like, I'm so sorry, dad. Like, I, I'm sorry I'm asking for help or I, I'm sorry to keep bothering you with this or whatever. I said, listen, guys, I didn't, I didn't just hand this to you and expect you to just kind of knit the, I, like, I'm okay. I'm here to help you. I, I will help you figure it out. And so if you get stuck or you kind of, and they would, I mean, they bring it to me and they're like, what did you do? You know, we'd have to like go back like a few rows or something and, and uh, it's kind of a, a mess. And so we're, we're kind of slowly working our way through it. But I say all that, use that illustration to just say this. I didn't just get it started and then hand it off and expect them to finish it. In the same way, God didn't save you and then just kind of send you off, push you down the hill and expect you to figure it out as you go. He's here, he's helping, he's not more just, not just answering questions, but he is supplying the power. He is doing it. All right, let me balance out that illustration with another one. Do you ever lift weights? We're going from knitting to lifting weights. If you've ever lifted weights, it's a good idea to have a spotter Right? If you overcommit or kind of, you know, when you want to get all the way through those reps, you're going to need a spotter. And if you've ever benched, that's kind of like you know, one of the crucial places, right? You need that spotter kind of helping. And, and if you, you know, kind of push it too much or whatever, that just having that little extra sort of pull up, uh, kind of getting, getting that done. And sometimes you finish it and you're like, man, like, did you help a lot with that? And sometimes like, no, I barely touched it. Like just having that finger on it is like enough to kind of get you over there. Other times though, maybe you put way too much on the rack and you are you're like your spotter unknowingly was signing up for like squatting or something because they're like, they're there and they're like doing just as much. Like, are you pushing? Because I don't, it doesn't feel like you're doing anything, you know, right now. Now, here's the thing. I think sometimes we step back and we feel like we're asking God to just sort of, hey, can you just spot me on this? I think I've got it, right? But I just need you nearby in case something kind of goes awry. The better picture for what I think God is doing is we are oftentimes putting ourselves in situations way overcommitted, way beyond what we can do. And that's actually where he would call us to so often. But he's saying, listen, I am doing it with you. I am lifting with you. And so when we get done, we push that thing up. It's not us who's doing it. It's him who's like pulling that thing up. The better picture is like when my son tries to pick up our weights and he's like, Dad, watch this. You know, and he goes to pick it up and he can't do it at all. And so I'll kind of help him. And then he puts it down. He's like, yeah. You know, like, and he's like all about, he's like, Dad, look at my muscles. You know, he's like, uh, he's just, he wants to kind of show that off. And I'm like, dude, you didn't do anything. Like I lifted that thing. I don't tell him this, but I'm like, I did that. I lifted that thing for you. I think so many times God is watching us and we try and step in and take credit for like, ah, look what I did. And he's like, you didn't do any of that. That was me. Like without me, you are weak. You are hopeless. You're helpless. And listen, we have to get to this place that we are okay, that we're relying upon the power and presence of God. It's a much, much better place to be because when it's not up to you and you're relying on him, that's where we already sang it, right? My confidence is his faithfulness. He is faithful and he has the power to will and to work and so he can do it. And so it's not on us, it's not on you. And so I just go back to saying, listen, if you find yourself in a ditch on the side of the road, right, whether decisions you made or things done to you, you're in a spot, you're stuck, you're in your bed and you can't get out, 
I would just say this, you need to rely upon the power and the presence of Jesus to affect the change in your life that you need. He's the one who can do it. And so much of us trying to will ourselves out of the situations or kind of figure it out is not getting us where we're trying to go. We need to rely upon Christ. And here's what happens. When the work of Christ comes in, change occurs, and that is our response. That's the third thing. We need to respond. Our response to Christ's work results in change. Peter, upon saying this to Aeneas, he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, make your bed. Look what happens. Immediately he rose. There was change. He is no longer in that bed. He is up. He is walking, presumably with a made bed, right? For the first time in eight years, he is out of bed. He is walking. There's change. Similarly, what does he say there? Peter put them all outside, knelt down, prayed, turning to the body. He says, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. There's change that comes. Now, one thing, I think this is so cool. I gotta just point this out because I, I just love when scripture does these little things sometimes for us. That word there that he spoke, that Peter said, Tabitha, arise. In, in, in uh, Aramaic, it's, it's Tabitha, uh, kumi. Um, the words that Jesus spoke uh, to that little girl, he said, little girl, arise. The uh, translation in Aramaic is uh, Talitha, kumi. It's only one letter off. Could you imagine like Peter being in that spot like with this woman who had died, remembering back to the time when Christ did the same thing, put all the people out, there he was, and he's remembering back to the power and the presence of Jesus. Jesus utters these words, Talitha kumi, and this little girl rises up. Now he says, Tabitha kumi, and this woman raises up. I mean, such a cool, just like showing the power and presence of Christ here. But here's the thing that I wanted us to see is that there was life change that happened, right? Transformation she opens her eyes, she sits up, she raises up, and she is now alive. And here's the thing that I think this is trying to teach us and remind us of, is that God is calling us similarly to life change. What Christ is saying to us, what the Spirit is saying to us is, hey, once I've worked in your life, right? Once I've provided this power, once I've provided this change, don't stay where you are. Get up, move. Like, go from here. Allow the change to take place in your life. Certainly, it's a warning to not go back. Like, how foolish would it be for Tabitha to just kind of go back to sleep, right? Or for Aeneas to climb back into the bed that he's just been uh, lifted out of, right? But yet, how many times do we do that? How many times do we go back to the thing that got us in the ditch, right? We go back into that bed. We go back into the situation or the relationship or the, the circumstances. We do this all the time. And what Christ is calling us to is to respond and allow this change to happen. You see, God is all about doing a new work and a new thing. He says in his word, he says, behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not see it? Do you not perceive it? Right? He says, the old has gone, the new has come. There is a new work that Christ is doing in our life. He wants to transform and to mature you and to grow you and to change you. And here's the thing that I've seen in, in, in walking life with many, many people over the years. 
So I, we've said this before. People want change. They don't want to change. So many of us, we want change. We want things different, right? Look at your present situation. There's probably any number of things that you could say, I wish this was different, wish this was different, wish this was different. And then you ask the question, well, what are you going to do about that, right? What's going to change? And you're like, oh, I don't want to change anything. That's so many times what happens, but yet God is calling us to change. He's saying, no, I want you to do this differently. I want you to trust me more fully, right? I want you to try it my way. Instead of doing it your way, why don't you rely on me and put your hope and, your hope and trust in me and why don't you do it this way? He's calling for change. And listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, I hope that you are looking after, pursuing after, asking God to change you. We are not called to be the same yesterday that we are today and hopefully we're not the same person tomorrow right i mean it's been said like i'm not as far as i want to be but i'm not where i was right god is working he is working out this change and so i hope i hope that if you look back at a year or think back to 2014 again right hopefully there's some change that you can see if you've been walking with jesus for the last eight years hopefully you can recognize and say yeah He's done that in my life. He's brought me to this place. He's worked this out in me. And if he hasn't, I would just encourage you to allow him to do the change, right? Again, we're not back to, you don't need to change. You need to let him change you. Allow him to change you. Submit to his working. Submit to his, his ways. And then he can produce that change in you. My hope, my prayer for you would be this, that at the end of this year, right? Here we are still at the, kind of the beginning of 2022. Hopefully at the end of this year, there's some things that are different about you. I hope God convicts you of some of the sin that's still present in your life. He's doing that in my life. Just, just a couple weeks ago, I like God, just some time with the Lord, he's like, you know what? You, you've allowed this to become a mindset that you've latched onto, and this is not good. This isn't becoming of, you know, and so conviction, we should be convicted. Repentance should be a regular part of our rhythms and routines before the Lord, Right? I hope there's some things that God encourages you with this year, some things that you learn, some things that you get taught. And uh, my wife and I were just talking about this, this this week. I think there was an article or something said that, you know, I think sometimes we think that maturity is something that just happens to us. Like if just kind of osmosis, just kind of like living life, we're gonna grow naturally more mature. Oh man, my experience in moving from student ministry, I did years of like working with middle school, high school students, working with adults. I'll just tell you, maturity does not naturally just happen. Okay, I'm not naming any names, but I've encountered plenty of immature adults. They've lived a lot of life, but there hasn't been a lot of maturing happening. Okay, so just walking through your days doesn't produce maturity. What produces maturity and growing and changing your life is to walking closely with, with Christ, right? Spending time with him in scripture, allowing others to pour into your life, being around and in the people of God. Like he uses all these things to affect change in our life and then we participate with him in that and we allow him to do these things. We respond to him and so when he's leading, when he's speaking, when he's instructing us, our response to that is our maturing. It's amazing though how he does this. I've heard, uh, I, don't, I forget who said it, someone referred to one time as, as preaching as, as, um, as a, like sanctification like on the spot. Like even now, as you're hearing the word of God's preached and proclaimed, it's not my words that's doing it, right? The spirit can use his word to produce change in your life so that you could walk out of these doors with something different about you today. That's how good our God is. He is doing things and he's calling us to that. And so the miracle is, he says to Aeneas, he says, hey, take your bed, arise 
and make your bed. I feel like it would be a real miss as a preacher if I don't make the joke that some of you with, with teenagers, you're like, I pray for that miracle all the time, right? I walk into my son or daughter's room and I says, hey, rise, make your bed, right? I'm calling on the Lord and it's not happening. So maybe today's the day, right? So for Aeneas, he rose, he made his bed and immediately he, there was change, change in his situation, change in his life. God is a God of change. Praise God for that, right? Can we just be thankful that the Lord doesn't leave us where we are? He's moving us to a place that he wants us to be. We can just give God thanks and praise for that. And here's the last thing. There should be a response. Already, uh, I'm sorry, after the response, there should be a recounting of what God has done. Our story can point others, should point others to the power of God. Notice what happens here. He rises, he makes his bed. He, um, and then all the residents of Lydia and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Lydia is the town, Sharon is the region. Okay, so it's kind of like Madison and Dane County is what he's saying there. So it didn't just, didn't just stay within that local community, right? It spread to the surrounding region. So all of Sharon heard about Aeneas and what was done. Clearly, he was out there and recounting and telling, hey, did you hear what happened, right? Did you, have you seen what, what, like, look, I'm walking, I'm moving. Christ has healed me. He's recounting the work that Christ had done. Similarly, look what happens after Tabitha is raised to life. It says, Tabitha, rise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, that would have been an awkward moment for a second, right? Who are you? What's going on? Like, you know, just a little bit of reorienting that was happening there. Clearly, they got things worked out. He gave her his hand and raised her up, and then he called together all the saints, all the widows, and what did he do? Presented her alive, and then it began to spread, right? It became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And then he stayed there in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. And so we see the impact that the story of Christ's work can do, the impact that um, uh, takes place as a result of this change. And I'm just going to, you know, we framed it up this way before, but when Christ works, the story that he, he, he gives is, is kind of like this. I was, but God, and now, right? I was, but God, and now. And if you have been impacted, if you have been changed, if you've been saved by Christ, you have an I was but God and now story. Not just one, but there's probably many others that you could share. Not just of salvation, but there's probably other examples that you could give of, of where you were and what God did and now how he is working and using that in the life and impact of others. So Aeneas now had this I was but God and now story, right? He's like, I was bedridden for eight years. I was paralyzed unable to walk, unable to move. I had no hope. But God sent a man, Peter, who came and told me about Jesus Christ. And Jesus healed me, gave me my legs back, gave me my arms back, brought me to a place of healing and health. And now I get to tell the story of how great and how awesome God is in all the ways that he's worked in my life. Like this is his story. Tabitha, similarly, she's like, get this. <laughs> they're like all telling stories around, you know, at a, at a, at a party or something, you know, a little, little gathering, and they're all kind of like sharing stories about different things. And she's like, hey, get this. You know what happened to me? I was dead, right? I died. Like, and they were 
they knew that she was dead, dead. Like they're not, you know, not bad doctors, just in a coma, something like that. Like when it's saying dead, it's dead. Like I was dead. And Christ raised me from the dead, gave me breath again, gave me life again. And now I get to continue serving all those widows, continue to serve the community that I have. And I get to use my story to encourage others and say, what an amazing, awesome God that I serve, that he would do even that. See, I think sometimes we read miracles like that and you're like, well, he didn't do that in my life. Well, maybe it doesn't look the same way, but I promise you that miracle is, not, is no less powerful. Right? Sometimes it would be a mistake for us to read and see these miracles and think that, well, I need that to happen the same way. It's still the same God. He could still do the same thing should he choose to do it. But that's not the point of why we have this. We're not supposed to chase after this. Rather, Rather, we can look for and understand that God, the same God who did this, is the same God who's working in your life. And so your story of, I was far from God, right? But God brought some people into my life and I heard about the hope and the message of Jesus Christ and the, uh, the grace that he had for me, the forgiveness that he gave despite all these things that I did. And now I am saved. I know where my eternity is is heading, I know my value and my worth, and I can have a confidence in God and all that he is doing in my life. Like this is the story that we have to tell. And all of you, again, if you have been saved by Christ, you have and I was, but God and now story. Are we using it? Are you telling people about what Christ has done? Listen, we need to recount often to others the way that Christ has worked in our life. It is a miraculous story you have a story that is undeniably true. People might disagree with a whole lot of things that you hold to, believe, the things that we see in this. There's there's people disagreeing all the time. But you know what's really hard to disagree with? Is the story that you can tell of how Christ and Christ alone has worked in your life. You can't point to anything else. You're like, hey, I don't know. I can't explain it, but this is how Jesus worked in my life. And this is the change that he's brought to me. And this is what he's still doing. You have a story to share and a story to tell. If this sounds familiar, this is the drum that the book of Acts repeats over and over and over again. We see the story of life change and then we see it spill out into those around, right? God works, people are saved. God works, people are saved. God has worked in your life. He wants to use that to save even others and do more and more work in that area around you. Let's respond. Let's just, um, let's pray to the Lord now. Our God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. God, you have worked and you are working in such a powerful way. Lord, I believe this, that you want to bring about change, transformation, God, maturity, development to every person here, that we would grow closer to you. God, that we would understand and know the freedom and the forgiveness that's found in your cross, the cross of Christ God, that we would understand the new life that you offer through your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that maybe for some, today's the day that they choose to respond to your saving work. God, to put their trust in you and to believe in you alone for salvation. God, thank you. Thank you for making yourself known. Thank you for the way that you've worked. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bring about change in us. Lord, we don't want to be stale. We don't want to be stagnant. We don't want to stay where we are. God, we want to move to where you are moving us. And so, God, you do that work. We're submitting ourselves as willing, as humble. 
God is receptive. We're acknowledging our need, our lack of ability to affect change ourselves. God, I pray that you would do the work, that you would continue not just to save, God, but you would sanctify, that you would build up, that you would equip. God, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.